0: For Monday, April 20th, 2020, this is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE, answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, as the coronavirus pandemic wears on, we're learning that no group is immune from the disease or insulated from a potentially bad outcome. Anybody who's coming down with coronavirus is rolling the
1: dice. I rolled my dice from about the best position that you could. Young, healthy guy. And uh, I still feel like it It just about killed me.
0: Will Tokes, a third-year family medicine resident physician here in Georgia, talks about his tangle with COVID-19 and what it'll mean for how he handles patients. That's next. love free. And at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender.
1: Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for
0: all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. As the number of COVID-19 infections in the state continues to rise, so too does the number of people who know someone affected by the disease. Well, in the last week or so, I found myself in that position. An old roommate of mine is just on the other side of about with the coronavirus. Will Tox is a third-year family medicine resident physician who works at a hospital in Columbus, Georgia, and he joins me now to talk about his experience with the coronavirus. Will, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Thanks, Sam. It's good to talk to you. I'm glad I'm able to talk with you. We're talking today, Will, because you are on the other side of about with COVID-19. When did symptoms first start appearing? When did you think, uh-oh, something's going on?
1: Things, things started for me with uh, sort of a cough and cold symptoms, a runny nose, low-grade fevers, that kind of thing. I had that for about a week. Um, I did get tested. Uh, the test came back negative, and I started feeling a little bit better. And then I just got hit with some really bad fevers, and uh, and a much worse cough. You know, I was I was keeping track of myself with a, a little finger pulse oximeter which you can buy. I got it just at a regular CVS, and uh, and a thermometer. Those were kind of my tools. Um, and I wasn't too worried about the fevers, but I was worried about about my oxygenation. Um, I uh, and I kind of warned. Uh, my roommates, that you know, if if I if I can't get this up over eighty percent, that's that's the time I need to get to the hospital.
0: Tell me about the kind of inflection point that you reached when you actually said, "Okay, I need to go to the hospital for this."
1: So I did go get tested again, and it came back negative again. Um, the inflection point for me actually came in the middle of the night. My oxygenation just kind of plummeted. And I couldn't get it up, even even laying on my stomach and breathing as fast as I could. It was really, really just going by the numbers Was what it was. I knew from experience that, you know, if I if I'd gone to the hospital earlier, but I was still oxygenating, you know, my lungs were still doing what they needed to do. Uh, that probably wasn't going to be an indication for admission. But once you once your lungs aren't able to do what they need to do on, on regular room air, that's when I knew I needed to come in.
0: Talk to me about what happened then. You'd already received two negative tests. We are seeing some kind of initial reports that testing isn't foolproof. False negatives are possible. So you present with these symptoms. You say you're, you're watching your numbers. What do they do at the hospital? Do they, do they test you again?
1: Yeah, well, they did test me again. Um, but more importantly, they gave me a CT scan where they um, were able to kind of take a look and see what my lungs were actually doing. When I got the CT scan... The the words that my my attending used was, it looked like hot garbage, but uh, I was able to see my scan, and uh, that was pretty scary. It it didn't really look like lungs. It looked like a goose that had been sucked into a jet intake. Um, I could see that I had very little functional lung tissue that was left, and that was sort of where I started getting really scared.
0: Well, well, sure, and and I would imagine at that point, once your CT scan comes back, you were then admitted.
1: Oh yes, they they admitted me right upstairs. They put me. They have a special floor that they were using just for COVID patients or suspected COVID patients. Even with three negative swabs, we we all kind of agreed that this was, you know, it looked like a duck and it quacked like a duck. Even if it, you know, the duck test came back negative, it was still best to treat me that way. Um. They, they admitted me on uh, intensive oxygen support, and with that, I was able to keep my, my oxygen saturation up to a point that was more reasonable. I was acutely aware that intubation was kind of waiting in the wings for me. They were even talking about, uh, if I got much worse, about sending me to Atlanta for ECMO. That's where they basically cut your heart and lungs out of the circuit, pump all the blood out of your body to put oxygen in it directly before pumping it back in. I was pretty scared. I was pretty scared.
0: Did they give you any particular drugs? I mean, this is still such a such a new disease. There aren't targeted antivirals for COVID. So, so how how were you actually treated?
1: You know, they they kind of had a kitchen sink approach. The uh, the treatments that that there are there are there's concern for side effects, but they they kind of felt like, you know, I was young and healthy, maybe I could probably handle those if they did pop up. I did end up getting hydroxychloroquine as well as some other IV antibiotics, just sort of going on the basic principle that, you know, the, the, as bad as my lungs look, the last thing I needed was another infection. I don't know to what extent the hydroxychloroquine and, and all that other stuff actually helped. And there's really no way to know. We, we, we still don't have good data showing that that stuff is really effective. At that point, I was kind of like, yeah, whatever, whatever
0: might help me a little bit, let's let's throw it on by all means. We talked a little bit about kind of how you felt going into the hospital. Tell me about your time there. I mean, h- how long were you, were you admitted for?
1: So I ended up being in the hospital for a, a full week, pretty much. Probably for the first four or five days, I continued having fevers. Mainly, my symptoms were just a profound weakness, and I, I continued having no appetite. Uh, over the course of this whole disease, I ended up losing about 30 pounds, Basically, all I had the energy to do was sit on my belly and just focus all my attention on breathing. After three or four days of pretty much the maximum oxygen support, I started feeling a little bit better. I remember sort of on day four, I felt I felt good enough to get up and uh, take a shower, and that, that felt amazing, <laughs> being able to get up and actually accomplish something. Um... By the by, the time I was released, we I'd been able to be off oxygen uh, for 24 hours. Uh, I I wasn't having any fevers anymore, um, and that's when eventually I was able to get out of the hospital. Uh, came home on on still on a, a fair number of medicines. I'm very happy to do that because uh, I I don't want to get any of the um, the down the road problems that we're seeing with people who who recover initially, but then are not
0: uh, have, have other issues
1: that arise later on.
0: Do you feel like, you now have a different perspective on identifying, treating, just dealing with this disease now that now that you've been through it?
1: I think it'll definitely change how I'm able to talk to patients about this as someone who's been through it myself. I think it's going to be a little hard for me to go back into that room that I was admitted to. Um, there's a certain degree of survivor's guilt also that I'm still dealing with, Um I got out of the hospital and I just had to go sit on the grass and cry just from the sense of sort of what a near miss I knew that was. So being able to sort of show that emotion to, to patients and show that I, I understand their fears while also sharing with them you know that it's possible to get through this, I hope that that's something that patients will respond to.
0: You mentioned kind of getting these three negative tests. It's certainly, that's been really the benchmark for saying whether or not someone has this disease or not. So does you not having a positive test complicate how you're talking with your workplace about getting back in there and, and treating people?
1: Mm, not really. I think anybody with any doubts about it can take one look at my CT and uh immediately agree that this is this was something very serious. Um it's it's not normal for, for young, healthy people like me to suddenly uh, develop horrible pneumonia of all of your lungs simultaneously. Um, there are a, a couple of bugs that can do that, but I didn't test positive for any of them either. My my workplace has been great in terms of saying you know what you you just get better. Obviously, I, you know I even with those negative tests I'm still concerned that I could be infectious. I the last thing I want to do is give this to somebody else, um, and that's the last thing my bosses want. Also. I'm not going back to work until I'm 100% sure that I'm not going to give this to anybody else. Do you feel like that's a certainty that's attainable for you? There are some other tests that uh, are a little bit more reliable. The immunoglobulin tests are ones that look to see whether or not I'm making antibodies against this. Um, I'm hopeful that I could get that test. If I was able to get a positive result like that, I would feel a lot better about uh, knowing for sure that I've had this disease. I've recovered, and that I'm probably not going to be in a position to spread it to anybody else. But even if I'm not able to get that test, if I get to the point where you know I feel like my lungs have recovered, I'm not having any fevers, if it's been a week or two since I've had any such symptoms, that's that's also the point where I would start advocating for getting back to work. You know, as as much fun as it is staying here at home, I do feel a motivation to get out back and help my fellow healthcare workers and get back
0: into the field. This is a, a disease that really seems to be one of, of isolation. Uh, people, when they are diagnosed, are uh, ideally very, very quickly pulled away from the rest of society. What was that like for you specifically with, with regards to kind of your, your personal relationships?
1: So um, in the end, it was, it was my girlfriend who dragged me to the ER. I did have the presence of mind to insist that she, she grab my charger for my phone because I, I, <laughs> I knew I might need that. Um, but I also knew that as soon as I got to the ER, uh, that was probably the last time I was going to see her while I was in the hospital. Um, you know, I, I felt very fortunate that I was at my hospital. So everybody who was taking care of me, uh, knew me, but, uh, you know, I still had no contact with direct contact with my family. Whatever I could do was over the phone. It was a very isolating feeling. And I could sense that, you know, my loved ones were also felt that sense of isolation and the, you know, the inability to touch your loved ones and to see them is, is very scary. And I don't think we have a great solution as, as healthcare workers keeping people isolated is still is the safest thing to do, but it also means that a lot of what we consider to be, you know, the traditional sick process, you get to go to the hospital, people come and visit you, they bring flowers, they send best wishes. You know, a lot of that is is all canceled right now.
0: How do you think about being on the other side of this? This thing that so many people are just so intensely anxious about.
1: Any, anybody who's who's coming down with coronavirus is rolling the dice. Um, I, I, I rolled my dice from about the best position that you could. Young, healthy guy. And uh, I still feel like it, it just about killed me. The, there, there are, there's, there's some illusions that people like to keep to themselves that, they, you know, I'm young, I'm healthy, I, I have a good immune system, This, I don't really need to worry about this. But I don't think that's proving to be true with coronavirus. Uh, I, I, feel, I feel very lucky that I made it through.
0: Will Toks is a third-year family medicine resident physician who works at a hospital in Columbus, Georgia. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. You can send us comments and tips at washyourhands@wabe.org. at You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also rate us and leave us a review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org/slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary.